the root of our troubles is this belief that we are separate from or something in relation to life. We are something finite that's cut off. There's a conditioned position of separateness. There's the conditioned belief in separateness. The suffering that happens when it happens seems to be based in the ideas of what we are and what this is. The sense of me will never be satisfied with how life is appearing. There are all these thoughts, sensations, concerns that come up that make it seem like there's an actual problem here that needs to go away, that needs to be fixed. Eventually, we can start to question if things really do need to change to feel okay. Can I actually find the, the problem holder? Can I find the thinker of the thought? Can I find the one that is benefiting from experience or the one that's inconvenienced by experience? And in that process, let go of the ideas of what we are and what this is. Then what we find is the inherent contentment of what we are, the peace that we are that's always been here no matter how it appears. It's not that you can have an experience and then you merge with the absolute. There's just the putting down or loosening of the grip on the idea that we are separate. Nothing needs to be gained or attained because we're just noticing actively what's already the case. This is already liberating itself. This is already enlightening itself. You're already that. You're already enlightenment. You're already liberation. Nothing needs to change. The invitation is just to see if what we believe to be true is actually there. You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from thewholenessofexperience.com. Joining me for this episode is... Bodan Harrick, whose website is thisiscelebrating.com. So I'll read two quotes and then see what comes up. So the first quote is one of my favorites from Meister Eckhart, which is, God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of subtraction. And... The second one is by Fred Davis, which is, is there a thought plus a me? What even is a me? I don't know what I am. I know, wink, wink, who I am, but I don't know what that is. So I'm right back to the great unknowing. The best thing about the great unknowing is that if I approach life from this great unknown, then I don't have a set of rules that the world is supposed to follow. So yeah, I just really loved, I love both of those quotes and both those teachers are quite influential. It's just been a a defining characteristic, you could say, of how this process of unraveling or enlightenment, deconditioning, awakening, authentic living, whatever you want to call it. It's been a defining aspect of how that's unfolded here. So many aspects of my life when I reflect on different, I don't know, points of suffering, so much of what has made the experiences feel unbearable or what in hindsight has contributed to the discomfort of those experiences has been this, I know what I am. I know what's going on here. I know how this should be. I know how life should appear. 
And it's not going that way. It's not going the way that I, the one that life is happening to, not going according to my ideas and expectations. It's not meeting my preferences. And for most people, it seems, and this was my experience for a very long time, the the solution of this tension in life that ends up being an invitation for a lot of people to look into spirituality or other modalities of, of healing like therapy, exercise, whatever the thing is, but also tendencies like addiction, right, is because there's this discomfort, this resistance to life that I either feel is me or I feel is my resistance, and I want that to go away because it's uncomfortable, I then need to manage and control life so that that feeling doesn't happen. I need to manage and control life so that I feel okay, so that I feel safe, so that I feel comfortable, so I feel better um, at harmony with, with what's going on here. And that will happen if what's going on here changes. That will happen if life changes. And so I have to change it in some way. I can change it through trying to control other people. I can try to change it through what substances I put in my body. I can change it by rejecting aspects of the world that I disagree with. That's a never-ending endeavor. There is no, there's no resolve from that at all. That activity that is based in an argument with what is, that is the argument of what is, that we're calling the separate someone, the sense of me, the sense of Bo, the sense of Nick, the sense of Bob, who, whoever it is, whatever label we give it, it will never be satisfied with how life is appearing. And so eventually, I suppose if we're lucky, or if that's just how this ends up appearing, we can start to question if things really do need to change to feel okay, or if what we are is that argument with what is if that's actually my problem to solve. There are all these thoughts, sensations, concerns that come up that make it seem like there's an actual problem here that needs to go away, that needs to be fixed. But what started happening in my experience is started to become curious about, well, can I actually find the one that this is? Can I actually find the, the problem holder? Can I find the thinker of the thought? Can I find the one that is benefiting from experience or harmed by experience? One that's inconvenienced by experience? Can I find that one? And I haven't been able to find it. And I also don't know who it is or what it is that hasn't been able to find it. And that seems to be enough when it comes to that kind of the dilemma of there's something wrong here. The suffering that happens when it happens it seems to be based in the ideas of what we are and 
what this is. And if we look closer at what we are and what this is, and in that process, let go of the ideas of what we are and what this is, then what we find is the inherent contentment of what we are, the peace that we are that's always been here, the radiance that we are that's always been here, the wholeness, the completeness, the inherent fulfillment of what we are, of what this is, no matter how it appears. And so it seems like with both of those teachers, Fred Davis and Meister Eckhart, what they were pointing to is that the root of our troubles is this belief that we are separate from the divine, that we are something in relation to God or life or truth or what is, whatever you want to call it. But we are something in relation to something else. We are something finite that's cut off from our source or whatever, that's, that's cut off from that which doesn't come and go. We can never really be cut off from what we are. We can only believe that we're cut off from what we are. And that's really the only difference. And that's what both of those teachers were pointing to in unknowing. It's not that you can have an experience and then you merge with the absolute. There's just the the putting down or loosening of the grip on the idea that we are separate from this. The idea that what we are is finite, limited, in opposition to what is. Once that belief is let go of, the, you know, already, the already home recognition of, of this becomes clear. But it's not something that happens once and then you're, you're already, <laughs> you're just un- unconvinced because there isn't anyone to hold on to that information and apply it to the future. There's, um, like I've heard Paul reference before, Little Seeing's Many Times, something like that, from Zogchen. And that's that's been my experience. It's there's there's con- a conditioned position of separateness. There's the conditioned belief in separateness that's been um, accumulated over time, paradoxically, because there ha- isn't time and there isn't someone that that would happen to. But yet it seems to happen anyway. That's not the point. <laughs> So that's that's the clearing aspect of this. Just continuing to investigate where where does it feel like I'm still holding on to that belief in being other than life? Where am I still knowing? Where am I still sure about what's going on here? There's a difference between sureness and conviction in truth. If I'm sure about what I am, there's no good way of talking about this. If I would define sureness as an intellectual position, I know that there's just oneness and often that comes from, that, that's followed by, but I'm still having this experience, or but I'm still, you know, I'm not having a certain peaceful 
whatever. There, but there's still something wrong here, basically. And that position of sureness is taken by that which is defined by positions. It is defined by that sense of someone is taking a position of there's something wrong here. So if I know something intellectually, but it's not my experience, I'm identifying with that activity. But there is only oneness. There is only awakeness. There is only awareness. And so this radiant aliveness. And so it, it is your experience. It is experiencing itself. And so if there's the idea of I understand something intellectually, but it's not my experience. That is a misunderstanding of, of what's going on here. I would say it's truer to say that it is your experience, you just don't understand it intellectually, because it can't be understood intellectually. What's non-conceptual in nature can't be captured by concepts. And the freedom in that pointing is in not needing to know, not needing to understand this. It's not finally I've gained an understanding. It's letting go of the need to understand. And then the contentment of this, of what you are, is what gets revealed or what peeks through or the, the peace, the freedom that we're looking for in any any kind of endeavor. We make up ideas about this, or ideas get made up just habitually as, as the software. I think that I've heard you and Paul talk about that too, just the, the mechanical churning of ideas that the mind is. Here's an idea about what this is. Here's an idea about what this is. Here's an idea of what you are. So stuff gets made up. We suffer from believing the stuff that gets made up. What suffering is, oneness. And then we come to spirituality to overcome the suffering that we're experiencing from believing what was made up. It's just a, it's just a cycle. <laughs> um, in truth, what we are doesn't suffer, but it can feel that way if there's attachment and belief in, in thought and ideas about what this is. Yeah. It's as if our lives depended on knowing, on knowledge, on having things worked out. And the mind, which is simply thought, is very, very skilled at applying knowledge at any given time, filling in the blanks, you know, presenting a cohesive narrative as an overlay on any given moment. That's the mind's job to have everything worked out and to strategize and solve problems. There's a verse in the Bible that says, trust the Lord completely and don't depend on your knowledge. Trust life completely and don't depend on the mind's knowledge. So what does it mean to trust life? Well, as you said, our suffering is based on the false belief that we are not life, God, the absolute. This belief hurts. It hurts in every possible way. Every single form of suffering is based on this idea of disconnection. Trauma is disconnection. Everyday discomfort is based on separateness, this belief in separateness. Trust life completely and don't depend on the mind. You are life, which means trust yourself. And you use the word conviction. And that reminded me of something Nisargadatta Maharaj said. He said, you have to go to the root and have conviction 
about your true nature. Your understanding, which changes over time, is untrue. The changeless is true. When you know you are, your worldly activities begin. But prior to knowing you are, what are you? Be there. Be. You are there. You are the changeless. This is not something you have to arrive at. This is not something you have to cultivate. This is not something you can attain. This is not an achievement. You don't achieve that state. It's not a state. It's the natural state. The stateless state from which your present experience arises. It's that which is creating this moment. So you have to go to the root and have conviction about your true nature to decondition, to question your beliefs, all of which are based on this idea of separateness, to question them, to loosen the grip. This is not a mystery. Life is not a mystery. You're not a mystery to yourself. The mind says it's a mystery. That's the conclusion when a tidy answer can't be found. Oh, it's a mystery. I don't know. It's a mystery. This is not a mystery because this is here. This is present. This is vital. This is shining this way, expressing this way. And despite its superficial expressions, despite its appearance, it is life. It is the absolute. It is what you are. You're not a mystery to yourself because you are yourself. Life is not a mystery to be solved. It's an actuality to be lived. And you are living it. You're living it. You're living you. Be there. You are there. Be prior to knowing you are. Then what are you? You are you. When Nisargadatta says you are, he's talking about I am, the I amness beingness. There is no before and after really, but we have to use language. When you have a sense, I am, I exist, that's the catalyst for the celebration of being. It's the mode of exploration life goes into, you go into, to experience, to explore your unlimited potential. And somewhere along the line, Somewhere in that process, we seem, seem to forget and we start to believe that we are separate. And where once there was the purity of I am, just I am without conditioning, individuation happens, identity occurs. I'm a separate self, I'm a separate I am, and I have to seek completeness because I am disconnected. I have to seek fulfillment because I am incomplete. I'm incomplete. If I'm incomplete, then I have my work cut out. I have my hands full. I have, this is a full-time job. This thing where I'm, I'm being a person, this is a full-time job. I have to manage so much. I have to know so much. And it's scary not to know. This idea of this prospect of dropping my knowledge, dropping what the mind says and stepping into the great unknown is scary. It's death, right? It's death. That's what the mind says. It's death. Well, it's the death of what you believe you are, who you believe you are and the recognition of what you are beyond identification, beyond duality. There's a few paragraphs in my book, Living the Life That You Are, that speaks to not knowing. I'll just read a few bits from there. Not knowing is fertile ground, not a barren wasteland. Before we can discover anything fresh and new, we need to rest into a relaxed but attentive state of not knowing. This may be obvious, but if we're honest, we're not very comfortable with not knowing, are we? Avoiding 
the apparent ignorance and ambiguity of not knowing, we instead look for confirmation of what we believe we are sure of, therefore defeating the purpose of inquiry. At the same time, avoiding ambiguity has a function. Not knowing is deaf to the mind, and deaf is the most extreme and final form of not knowing. But not knowing, in a true sense, isn't necessarily the absence of knowledge. It's the natural foundation on which knowledge comes and fades away. So spiritual maturity involves an uncensored letting go, not a perpetual amassing. You don't even need to let go. You are the natural release. This isn't theoretical. It doesn't have to be something you try to believe or something you try to attain. This is experiential. Notice how every experience, every facet of this moment is impermanent. These words come and they go. Thoughts arise and they dissolve. No feeling is permanent. So see that there's a natural release built into this moment. Whatever this is, it creates knowledge, it creates experience, it creates interpretations, it holds them, it holds ideas, it doesn't hold on to them, it doesn't grasp them, it releases them, it doesn't push them away. Everything comes and goes freely. So you are the natural release of the known and you are the freedom of not knowing. But this not knowing is deep knowing. Not knowing is true knowing. Like I said in the book, not knowing is actually fertile ground. It's not a barren wasteland. It's this without the interpretations that are added to this. And even with the added interpretations, you still don't really know. You don't really know, do you? Because the interpretations are just that. Is any interpretation true? Do interpretations really capture the moment? If I call something something, I'm just calling it something. My ideas are just ideas. My stories are just that. They're just stories. And interpretation can seem to cause a sense of bondage, a sense of narrowness, a limited sense, like especially the self-identity. This is who I am. This is only who I am. With, with all of those limiting beliefs and self-concepts, this defines me. This idea about myself defines me. I'm this. I'm only this. And there's nothing wrong with interpretation. The invitation is just to see interpretation as interpretation. See, meaning is just a guess. You're just guessing. You know, we, we never really, we never really become adults. We never really grow up. We're still, we're still kids. We're still kids playing with ideas, make-believe. It's just that we're playing this game of seriousness. You've got to be serious. But we're still kids. You know, we're still the I am exploring itself very innocently, actually very playfully when you look at it, which is playing, playing with meaning. So the invitation is, is to play, is to celebrate, is to see this as a perfect unfolding of self-knowledge. You're in the process of self-knowledge. This is self-knowledge. I don't mean self-concepts, although, you know, they happen as, as well. But even those attempt to capture what you really are. Any idea about yourself just attempts to capture what you are. It's just a little, a little taste, but it isn't the entirety. No concepts can encapsulate the entirety of what you are. It just can't. But you're in the, the mode of self-exploration always. And that's wonderful. That's something to celebrate. It's something to engage in wholeheartedly. I mean, actually, you already are. You can't not be. You are free to drop your 
ideas and you already do drop your ideas no idea lasts and this is the beauty of this message there's nothing you need to do and then when we talk about letting go we also point to the fact that everything is let go of everything is released when we talk about acceptance we're not saying that there's an individual who needs to accept we're saying look everything is accepted already nothing is refused nothing is pushed away by what this is so this freedom is already the case the freedom from the need to have everything figured out it's a release from the self-imposed pressure of having to understand everything this is a celebration of the freedom to be so this is not about adding anything question your beliefs question your ideas don't try to get rid of anything just question just be open to question open to inquire and see that everything you've added dissolves sinks back into the unknowing anyway whether you question or not there's nothing you need to do yeah so much of this what this message invites and encourages is like we've been saying noticing what's already the case nothing nothing needs to change or fall away or added to nothing needs to be gained or attained because we're just noticing actively or intentionally or alertly what's already the case this is already liberating itself this is already enlightening itself you're already that you're already enlightenment you're already liberation nothing needs to change the invitation is just to see if what we believe to be true is actually there i often reference the the whole story of the the rope appearing as a snake right it's if you're walking in an alley and you stumble upon a piece of rope that you're mistaking for a snake because of the lighting right you don't the the rope doesn't actually need to change it doesn't need to stop appearing as a snake because that's just a misperception all that you the the viewer of that experience the experiencing of that experience need to do and i say that loosely is looking closer if there actually is a snake there is there actually a snake in the rope is there even a rope in a rope right is there a voice in a voice is there sound in sound is there color in color is there a self in the self just to look closer if what we're believing to be the case is actually there is that actually what the experience is indicating or is that just an interpretation and it's okay if there's an interpretation it's okay if there's an interpretation appearing because that's just what's happening that too is awakeness appearing that way it's not wrong it's not a mistake it only ever seems like a mistake from that lens of this is happening to me or for me this life is about someone and that's okay too because that position is also made of clarity it's also made of awakeness it's also made of inherent peace freedom contentment it's made of all these qualities so there's nothing wrong with it appearing that way the discomfort of that appearance is just an invitation to look closer at that assumption of how you as life are appearing that conditioned discomfort is just an invitation always it's not actually proof 
that there's something wrong here that needs to be fixed. Suffering isn't there's something wrong with the world or there's something wrong with my life. It's not proof of that. It's not the truth of that. The discomfort of that tension, which just happens, believing just happens, it's not something that it's actually being chosen. Because you could say that the, the willingness to look closer at that or not has some choice involved, but I, I don't actually know any about that, anything about that. And I don't need to, and that's part of <laughs> the freedom <laughs> that's, that's being indicated here. I, I don't need to know how this all works. I don't need to know what this is. I don't need to know what I am. Because when I know, and I insist on knowing that knowing, I insist on the reality of the idea about myself. I will inevitably suffer. I will inevitably be living life from a framework of how it should appear, how I should appear. And that's painful. It's in direct opposition to the unconditional love that we are. I should be appearing some way that isn't how I'm appearing now, right? I should be, there should be other than this. I should be different. It's painful because it's not true. It's painful because we're imposing limitation on something that can't be limited. And that's part of how the infinite explores itself through the dance and dream of finitude. And that's beautiful. It's an absolute delight when it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. And when it's not, that's part of it. So this all seems so serious when I believe myself to be someone that this is about. This all seems that change, right, in childhood, when suddenly everything that's happening somehow has some sort of relational negative connotation. And it's the intensity of that that's like the first invitation to look closer. It's the intensity of that tension that's saying, hey, you, infinity, are believing in limitation, are believing that you're a fragment of experience. You're taking the game too seriously. You're believing that you can be defined by the role of that running program that the mind, which is just thought, is supplying, that script. It can be really fun to imagine that I could be defined by anything. I mean, why else would this appear this way? Right, it's not a mistake. The alarm clock, suffering isn't a mistake. It's just an invitation to look closer. It's life telling itself, wake up. Let go of the belief. Let go of the idea that you're separate from divinity. Let go of the idea that you're separate. Let go of the idea that you're the wave or the ocean. You can never actually become the wave. You explore yourself through that expression. It's like Lao Tzu says, life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them that only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. And that's the noticing what's already the case. Letting reality be reality is reality what you are. Letting go of the need to define yourself as something 
in opposition to something else. Duality never actually happens. There's just a believing that it does, or that it is. But a belief in something isn't the same as the truth of something. A belief in something isn't the same as the experience of something. You could say the experience is like after believing something that I'm experiencing myself as separate. But the experience of what you are, the actual felt experience of what you are, isn't, isn't an indicating any of that. The felt sense of this is absolutely no boundaries, no demarcation lines. There's absolutely no separation in experience itself, in the experience of you. And that's being recognized not because of having a certain experience that's distinct from anything else or gaining insight or attaining anything. There's absolutely nothing special about this body-mind. It's absolutely nothing discreet. The same thing that's seeing and hearing, knowing, quote-unquote, here, the same thing that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, sensing, quote-unquote, over there. It's, it's another quote from Maestro Eckhart. The eye through which I see God is the same eye through which God sees me. My eye and God's eye are one eye, one seeing, one knowing, one love. There isn't any room for infinity plus me. The only way that that could happen is by infinity imagining that that could be the case. And even then it's just an idea. It's just an appearance. I, awareness, awakeness, aliveness, can believe that I'm something that's in relation to something else. I can believe that I am this body that's in relationship to this microphone or this Nick character, right? This laptop, this tree. But just because I can believe that idea doesn't make it ever actually, it doesn't ever make it something that's actually happening. That never happens. Separation never happens. Infinity seems to enjoy imagining that it could be finite because then it can experience itself objectively. It can experience itself as finite, something in contrast to something else. I mean, when you, you know, you go to, um, walk in the forest, right, or, or go to a mountain and look over the side and see that wide open view, that awe and wonder, really it's just you going, wow, look at, look at me. <laughs> look at how amazing my potentiality is my expression, look at how amazing I am. And even, you know, more than that, it's just a deep appreciation for me to know myself at all. The miracle of experiencing, it's a gift. It's a gift to know myself this way. It's also a gift to believe that I'm someone in contrast to something else. Each instance is a beautiful opportunity for exploring, for feeling into, for playing, to celebrate the miracle of amming, being. It seems like that's the consequence, right? Because we're not, when the idea of needing to attain anything or needing to get somewhere 
for this to change. When that softens, just the appreciation for what's here seems to often follow. The appreciation for sound, appreciation for seeing, feeling, texture. What we are doesn't need any of this, and yet it's here. And it's here that we can remember our inherent intimacy with life, because there's just life. There's just you. How far do you need to go to get to yourself? How many arduous practices do you need to do to get to here? It may take some investigation to recognize that it's here, trying to get here, here remembering here, this noticing this, that can never happen later. For waiting to notice the truth of ourself later, after some sort of experience, after some sort of way that this appears, and we're denying that it's already this, that we're already this, that we're already home, and that's okay. You're free to deny that. You're free to overlook that. You are always here when you get tired of believing thought. There's an infinite, infinite opportunity to notice what's already the case. What's true is already true. The deeper invitation here is not to even end suffering. It is to recognize what is true. And a byproduct of recognizing what is true is the softening, the unraveling of what we call suffering. And that can seem to take some time. This recognition is not a quick fix to your problems because we're not talking about problem solving. This is about truth. What's true? What's true now? What's always true? What's true even with the running of the story, of the me-sense, of the idea of the past and the future? What's still true then? What never changes? What's uncaused? What is the ultimate source of every cause, every happening? We're not talking about philosophy. Really, we're not talking about spirituality. We're just talking about this. We're just talking about this, what this is. Not reaching a conclusion about what this is, but seeing beyond our conclusions to the isness, the actuality, the suchness of this moment, of this perpetual moment, the only moment there is. You are this moment. You are God. You can be a soul. You can be an individual. You can appear separate. You can feel lost. You can even suffer. But always you are God. The etymology of the word suffer is interesting. The original Latin meaning was to bear from beneath. As an individual, as God, playing at being an individual, one has to hold up one's life. It's like a pressure, a heaviness, a weight, holding one's life. And there's a word, a Greek word, dysphoria, which means hard to bear. So our, our idea of life can seem hard to bear. And when we, we suffer, when we're under this load, weighed down by our idea of life, we do often look for ways out, ways to fix this problem. And it only just leads to more of the same. And actually, ultimately, that doesn't change anything. You are still what you are. You're still reality. You're still God. You're God experiencing that. You are the, the producer of that, the, the creator of that. The truth is, though, you are God bearing this moment. You are, choose a word, you are awareness, you are reality, you are life holding this moment. You are holding this moment. You are holding your interpretations. It will be unknown, which is really the deep knowing, 
holding the known, which is actually unknowing, masquerading as knowing through knowledge. So even if this moment seems hard to bear, even if you're suffering, see that you are holding this moment. You're holding a sense of self, you're holding the idea of being a separate person, and you're also holding this entire presentation. You're holding it. Just notice that you're holding it. You're already holding it. You can hold it. So even though this moment can seem hard to bear, it's not unbearable. No experience is unbearable. But you can notice. You can notice. Noticing does require some attention, but it doesn't have to be a vigorous attention. You know, it's akin to, are you breathing? Yeah, I'm breathing. Notice when you notice your breathing, your breathing softens, it relaxes. And it's the same with experience. It softens and relaxes, slows down. You know, we've been exploring the freedom in the great unknowing. It's a celebration of the beingness that we are. It's an acknowledgement of the profundity and the sublime nature of experience and existence. And it transcends analysis. It transcends description. So there's freedom in not knowing. There's freedom in not needing to know. And there's freedom in playing with knowledge. It's not about getting to a place of no knowledge, no thoughts, no ideas, no storyline. No. no, you've got the opportunity to explore all of that, to get tangled up in all of that. You know, you, you can get lost in that. That's part of it too, getting lost in it or forgetting it, forgetting truth, not noticing. That's part of God's exploration of, of God. So if anything, just notice. Notice what's already the case. Just see, just recognise. You don't have to try to let go. Notice the release of concepts. <laughs>